0: The scripture this morning is Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses five through twelve. If you could please stand for the reading of God's Word, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can, stand, can withstand you. Our God... Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. The word of the Lord. Amen. Um,
1: Before I get into today's message, I just want you to know that the flowers on the communion table um, were left by the Small family um, from the memorial service for Keith Small yesterday. They're beautiful, and I could smell them when I was sitting in there. (sighs) Yeah. And then, uh, just a reminder to those who were uh, two weeks ago. In Nazarene 101, the membership class today is part two, so we'll be gathering in the fellowship hall right after worship service. Uh, we enjoy a light lunch together, and then we'll get down to uh, the rest of, of that time together. Um, I feel kind of bad about this message today, and I'll tell you why. What? What? I always do what my wife tells me, so I was just making sure I listened. You know, we did this, uh, we had this emphasis in the Church of the Nazarene, the 40 days of prayer. And as a part of that, they sent out a series of messages with different topics that would kind of give us some direction. So I've used those. Um, and what I do is I, I, take the, I like to take the main ideas, because that's what they want us to preach, but I try to make those things my own. I, and so um, I was planning on preaching this next Sunday. And I, I, I took a, a sermon outline out of it, but I didn't know I was going to be preaching it today, so I didn't have a chance. To, uh, what a, fr- a pastor friend of mine used to say, massage it and make it my own. So this is mostly somebody else's stuff. I don't like to do that, but I'm going to do it today because I didn't have any options. So here we go. In the 19th century, uh, the printed word industry made a concerted effort to soften the crude language and swearing that had become popular in American culture. It's, it's, it's back again, by the way. <laughs> we returned. <laughs> Authors began to incorporate what we, they would call mild oaths in their stories and reporting. So phrases like holy moly, gee willikers, heavens to Betsy became common substitutes for the more coarse alternatives. A favorite expression to denote surprise then was "jumping Jehoshaphat." <laughs> and if you're wondering what this literature lesson has to do with prayer, the passage that Dean read to us today from Second Chronicles—well, the whole story. He could—I could have had him read the whole chapter, but that would have taken about fifteen minutes. So, um, but. Second Chronicles, this particular story, and where this prayer comes from, it features King Jehoshaphat. He was a fourth, the fourth king of Judah, uh, about 850 B- B.C. And um, ironically, even though they came up with this phrase or term, jumping Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat's not known for jumping. I want you to know that. Uh, that actually, um, Jehoshaphat's no, known more for being still, but we'll talk about that uh, a little more, a little bit later. Um, the context of, of this passage reveals that God's people are divided. There's Israel and Judah. Um Unfaithful Israel, under the uh, leadership of wicked King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, occupy the north, and then faithful Judah, under the leadership of Jehoshaphat, reside in the south. Jehoshaphat's reign appears to have been one of unusual religious activity, um, with a pious spirit, uh, pervading just about every act of the king. He was trying to restore Judah to God-worship and uh, took some uh, very um, uh, uh, important steps in seeing that that would happen. Um, so uh, in chapter 17 of Second Chronicles, verses 3 and 4, it reveals to us that Jehoshaphat sought the favor of God in every act of his life. Jehoshaphat was convinced that his nation's character was determined by its its adherence to God's directives. He understood the importance of adhering to God's commands. So he instituted a system of public instruction for the whole land. He appointed a commission of princes and Levites and priests to go from city to city to instruct the people in the law of God. Their instruction was to be based on the one true foundation of sound morals and a healthy religious life that was found in uh, the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, the book of the law of God. And Jehoshaphat will be remembered as a good king of Judah. He honored God with his leadership. And you might be wondering, uh, well... So what does a biography of King Jehoshaphat and the division of God's people have to do with prayer? Well, it's a fair question so let 's begin with this we don 't need to imitate the division and brutality of this era of god 's people. If you read through the times of the kings, you will realize what how brutal it was, even as some of these transitions took place from king to king, or um, right now, in my own personal reading i 'm in in this these passages of Scripture that talk about these secessions of kings and, and um, how some assassinated the kings and how others wiped out entire families and how they would go into entire cities. and It was a brutal time. A brutal time. And, and, the, and the nation was divided, as, as I just mentioned. Thankfully, this, this dark history has changed. What hasn't changed, however, is what this passage from Second Chronicles has to teach us. Um, see, we will learn where to turn in desperate times. And I think we could say we have times like that occurring right now. Many of us will agree um, that we are facing times like that. We're ravaged by sickness. We've just come through this, what, two, two and a half year period of this specter of of COVID. Um, and now it's monkeypox, although I haven't heard much about that just recently. Um, in division, I think, uh, I heard someone say, um, The other day, I don't remember if it was on something I read online or was listening to, that we're probably as divided right now as we have been since the Civil War. Um, So we can maybe sense that, that kind of same spirit of darkness looming on the horizon. And we need direction and we need deliverance. We need hope. But where do we turn? What do we do? So in this story from Second Chronicles, we will witness uh, Jehoshaphat's dilemma and learn to pray in our desperation as Jehoshaphat prayed, emphasizing these things, the character of God. And we'll see those things in his prayer today. The character of God. Second thing, the faithful track record of God. Um, I've talked about this before, this passage in Philippians, where we're told to bring our prayers and petitions to God with thanksgiving. I think in giving thanksgiving, we do this thing of rehearsing the faithful track record of God. To give thanks to God, we need to remember what He's done for us, don't we? So, the faithful track record of God. Third, our posture toward God. And last, the power of God. (laughs) By the time we catch up with uh, Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, wicked King Ahab of Israel has been killed in battle, but there is still no rest for Judah. It says uh, in chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people reported to Jehoshaphat that there was a vast army coming against him. Now, I'm not sure exactly what a vast army meant, but that warning seemed pretty dire. Um, We can assume that Jehoshaphat felt like that warning was desired based on verse 3 where it says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And it says, the people of Judah came together. This is verse four. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek God, to seek Him, it says, to seek God. So the king had sufficiently alarmed the the people that not only, so much so that does not, he not only turned to prayer, but the nation turns to prayer. And, Along with them turning to prayer, he proclaims a fast. We need to fast and pray. We're up against something pretty serious here. This is what we need to do. And as the people come together, they seek the Lord as their king has modeled for them. For this is what Jehoshaphat has determined to do, to seek God through prayer and fasting. Now, we know that this story took place a long, long time ago. And we might be tempted to think that it's outdated and irrelevant. However, before we dismiss this story too quickly, let's take note of a few things in this story that are timeless. Let's examine King Jehoshaphat's actions and see what they might have to Teach us, see the, ra- the world around us, and I think we understand this, is changing by the minute, and at times we look around and wonder, what do we do in the midst of all of this? And I think the story of Judah and King Jehoshaphat has plenty to teach us if we're willing to learn. so first, when the unthinkable is happening. Jehoshaphat resolved to pray. When the unthinkable is happening, Jehoshaphat resolved to pray. A vast army was a big deal in the ancient Near East. And it's told us that the Moabites, the Ammonites, and even some of the Mionites had gathered together and were coming against King Jehoshaphat and his people. These were brutal days of conquest and war. Wealth and power belonged to the strongest, and the more one conquered, the more power and wealth one possessed. And so in the face of this devastating news, Jehoshaphat didn't flinch. Instead, he went directly to prayer. What's more, he called his entire nation to join him. And rather than the people splintering into divisions based on fear, the people came together and followed the example of their king. And and this might seem oversimplistic, but prayer gives the believer access to God. That's exactly what they needed at this time. For God is faithful. And He allows us access to Himself. Does He not? Imagine the power of that statement. Ordinary people like us have access to the solitary solitary God of the universe whose power is unimaginable. Right? Right? The Scripture tells us nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for God. You know, a a passage that I love, and, and the psalmist writes this. He talks about the place where God breathed the stars out of His mouth. Imagine that. We're still trying to figure out well, I think it's probably impossible to count them. Our galaxy alone has million, billion, millions and billions of stars, and we know there are innumerable galaxies out there with millions and billions of stars. God, the scripture says, breathe those out of his mouth. And here's the clincher. He calls them all by name. You mean there are millions and billions of different names? I guess so, because it says God calls them all by name. Someday He's going to call them all to wink out, by the way. it's going to bring it all to a close. But, that's how big God is. That's how powerful God is. That's God that we pray to. The solitary God of the universe whose power is unimaginable. He's the same God who carved out the oceans and hung the stars in the night sky, the same God who hears us when we pray. So what was true for Jehoshaphat, what the Bible consistently reveals, is still true for us today. When the unthinkable threatens, we, like Jehoshaphat before us, must resolve to pray. Thank you. <laughs> Second, Jehoshaphat's prayer took a distinctive shape. And it begins this way. His prayer begins by reciting the character of God. We have to remember who God is, don't we? Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Moabites, Ammonites, Mionites, any other kind of bite cannot withstand God. So he celebrates and praises God for who God is.
0: But at the same
1: time, he strengthens his own faith and that of His people. And we need to remind ourselves, don't we, of who God is? That, that strengthens our faith. It, it gives us confidence then to seek Him for what we're needing Him to do right now. Just as Jehoshaphat and the people of, of Judah needed God to act in their behalf as these vast armies were coming against them. Next, He continues by tracing God's faithful track record. Remembering what God has done in the past. He says, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? We're remembering what God has done already. They lived in it, he says, and built in it a sanctuary for your name. So he's rehearsing what God has done for them as a people already. Remembering the ways that God has delivered in the past is a powerful faith-building tool for desperate times. And hopefully, we've got those things in our lives that we remember. You know, I've talked about this before because the people of Israel... Well, when they were one nation, when they entered the land, they would, they would build these little monuments, stones of remembrance. Remember, God did this thing. And he, he commanded them, just put this little pile of stones up so that when you walk by it with your kids, and the kids say, hey, Dad, or hey, Mom, what, what's that about? And then you can rehearse to them. Well, here's what God did. And and we need those stones of remembrance in our lives, don't we? Those places we can go back to and say, here's what God did in our lives. Here's what God did in our family. Here's what God did in our church, in our circumstances, in our nation. Whatever it may be. So that we can remember how God has come through for us in the past. So our, our present circumstances are no surprise to God. God has seen it all and faithfully walk with his people for all time. Standing before the assembled nation, Jehoshaphat helped them remember the faithfulness of God as an encouragement in the face of the difficulty that they now faced. And then the next thing Jehoshaphat does is lay out his request. We've got something here that we need your help with, God. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment, this is verse 9, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. I think that's a pretty powerful statement of faith. You will hear us and you will save us. The king recognizes that though God has blessed Judah and provided for them a position of relative safety up to this point, they are still utterly dependent on God for their future, for what's happening right now. There's no posturing here. There's no false bravado to pull the wool over the eyes of the people. There is a shred of self-reliance Jehoshaphat cries out to God for help in the face of what is a desperate situation for him and his people. And then finally the king prays for humility or excuse me with humility. He says in verse 12 for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We cannot do this ourselves. Then Jehoshaphat utters the words that are the basis of all prayer. (laughs) And we've all said this in one form or another. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. How many times have you prayed that prayer in one form or another? Sometimes our prayer is just this. Help. Yeah. Yeah. In this moment, the king captures the very heart of our utter reliance on God. The circumstances of life can often be overwhelming. We quickly exhaust our human resources and find ourselves at the end of ourselves. We seek for another option or better plan, but we come up empty. So what do we do in such dire circumstances. Well, we learn to pray like Jehoshaphat. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on You. When the king prays like this, the people follow suit. Verse 13, all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood before the Lord. Can you imagine that scene? Can you see... Moms and dads holding the hands of their little ones or maybe carrying them in their arms? Can can you envision teens and young adults whose futures hang in the balance? All of them assembled, desperate before God for deliverance, praying along with their leader and waiting for God's answer. There's a lot here to imitate. Families can recover the power of praying together. Churches can renew the practice of prayer meetings. When we realize it's a solution to what ails our culture isn't found in our ingenuity, we can recover the desperation of Jehoshaphat and come together, crying out to our faithful God. As New Testament Christians, I also can't resist noting that these moments of waiting for the people of Judah seems like a foreshadowing of another time when God's people are asked to wait before Him. Upon Jesus' ascension into heaven after His resurrection, He instructed His disciples not to leave Jerusalem. Though I'm sure they wanted to badly because there was concern that the religious authorities of the day would come after them as well. And who knows, crucifixion might have awaited them. Instead, Jesus said, I want you to wait here. And as they did, the gift of the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. You have to wonder if those disciples might have had King Jehoshaphat and Judah in the, in the back of their minds as Jesus instructed them to wait for. Here in Second Chronicles, the period of waiting before the Lord is rewarded with the gift of the Spirit. Now, it's not the same as happened in Pentecost, but don't miss that the Spirit of the Lord came in a powerful way to a man named Jehaziel. Who began to prophesy? God found a way to communicate his message to his people. Verse 15 Do not be afraid or be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And the message gets even better for Jehoshaphat and Judah. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So when Jehoshaphat prayed, celebrating the character of God, retelling of God's faithful track record, making a specific request, And then, demonstrating humility before God, God's Spirit came and pointed the way forward. You know, it was a long time ago. Does God still work like that? Yeah, I think God does. When we acknowledge who God is in prayer, we are offering our highest praise. Retelling God's mighty acts across the ages and in our own lives restores our trust in Him. In light of who God is and what God has done, we can, with faith, offer our request always coupled with the humility of Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on You. When we pray like this, We can depend on God to send His Holy Spirit to help us. God is faithful to hear and answer our Jehoshaphat prayers and show us the way forward. This is our call in these days that we're living in. God will answer by sending His Spirit, and God's Spirit will help us find the way forward. See, I believe that the absolute reliance on God's Spirit and direction is what saved Judah in this story. And I believe that it will be the church's willingness to seek and obey the Spirit of God that will provide the direction we need for our ministry in the days and weeks ahead. And how we deal with the pressures that are being placed upon God's people and His church in these days. Well, radical obedience was the response to God's Spirit as He came and spoke through Jehaziel. King Jehoshaphat responded to the outpouring of God's Spirit through Jehaziel with worship. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. That was verse 18. Worship is without question uh, an appropriate response to the work of God's Spirit among us. Amen? How essential to give God praise for His faithfulness in response to our prayers. But Jehoshaphat's obedience doesn't end in prayer. The next morning, there was this radical plan... or strategy for the battle that they thought would be taking place. Rather than armor bearers or swordsmen leading the way, Jehoshaphat appointed the choir and worship team to lead the nation into battle. There you go, Julie. (laughs) Yeah, Imagine how that would go over. Today, Okay, they're waiting out there, and Julie, I want you to lead us into battle. Oh, by the way, uh, Gary and uh, Christy and Maeve and Connie need to go with you. They're going to be in front of us all. <laughs> so, they went out. unconventional way of of going to battle to to say the least in verse 22 as they began to sing and praise the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated to be more precise God caused the armies to fight against each other all their strategies came to nothing and instead, they undermined and destroyed one another. We have prayed that way. We have prayed that way. We have prayed that God would confound and confuse and cause some of those that we're contending with, we would, that we'd cause disagreement and contention between them so that their strategy would fall apart. Well, that's what happened here. That's the least you can say about it. They actually killed each other. (laughs) So, all their strategies came to nothing. Instead, they undermined and destroyed one another. Jehoshaphat didn't have to do any jumping at all. (laughs) He only needed to stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord just as the Spirit had said. So great was the plunder for God's people that it took three days for Judah to gather it all off and cart it off. Wow. What an incredible victory. Sounds kind of crazy, right? How does that happen? I mean, does God do that, Really? Yeah, he does. Maybe those kind of amazing, I didn't expect God to do that things, don't happen more often because we spend far too much time relying on what we we think we can do. Our own creativity and strength. And God may have other plans, but we never see them because we don't have the desperation that Jehoshaphat did. What might happen if the church began to pray, celebrating the character of God, rehearsing His faithful track record, and laying out our requests with humility? Is it possible that God might move today as God moved then? we will never know until we pray, unless we pray. We will never see God undercut the forces of darkness in our culture unless we pray. We will never experience deliverance without prayer that moves the very heart of God. Amen? Now, let me share this with you. Most of the time, we associate mountaintops with victory and valleys with defeat. But after this astonishing victory, Jehoshaphat had a new name for the valley where this epic showdown took place. He called it the Valley of Defeat. No. It became the Valley of Barakah. And do you know what Barakah means? It means praise. Where it looked like sure defeat, this vast army is coming against it. That valley became the valley of praise. How? We need some valleys of praise, don't we? We need some valleys of praise. Well, praise God that He can do this if we, His people, will seek His face. God, help us to do that. We do not need to live in fear or defeat or discouragement or hopelessness. Right, God is bigger than anything we face. God is bigger than what happened at life life choices early Saturday morning. Oh, the victory is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. You, Lord God, are awesome. You're amazing. You're magnificent. You're incredible. You're astonishing. You're even surprising. Who would have thought that the armies of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir would be defeated in this way? The praise team goes out before the armies of Judah and meanwhile, this vast army ends up defeating themselves. They fight with each other. They wipe each other out. When Judah gets there, there's nothing to do but to collect all the stuff that's left behind and take it home. (laughs) What a surprise. Lord God, you're amazing. But it all happened because your people, Jehoshaphat, led his people to fast, to pray, to seek your face. to exalt your character, to recall your faithful track record, to humble themselves before you, to recognize your power, and then to humbly obey, which is exactly what they did. And you, 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 Lord God, won the victory for them. I believe, Father, that there are victories to be had. They're out there before us. Not for us ourselves to win, but you, Lord God, for whom nothing is impossible. You who breathe the stars out of your mouth and call them all by name. There are victories to be won. If we, your people, will humble ourselves fast. And I don't like to do that very much. Fast and pray and seek your face. Oh God, we live in anticipation of what You will do if we, Your people, will seek You, will be humble, and obey. Father, thank You for the confidence we can have in who You are and in what You can do. As Lord God, we are obedient to be a prayerful people. May that typify who we are as a church. We pray that we will see the supernatural at work in our midst and in our community in coming days. Lord God, you are faithful, you are good, you are powerful, you are loving, you're redeeming, you're protecting, you're guiding, you're gracious, you're merciful, you are patient. We praise you for who you are and what you are doing even now in our midst. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen.